every generation there is a chosen podcast. It alone will analyze the subtext, the allegory, and the clever Whedon-esque dialogue. It is Conversations with Dead People. Welcome to Conversations with Dead People. I'm your host, Paul Smith, and each week, give or take, I'm joined by guests from the worlds of fandom and academia, authors and educators, to discuss two to four episodes of Joss Whedon's critically acclaimed series, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and eventually, its spin-off series, Angel. Uh, and with me tonight, uh, only our second hat trick in the long run of this podcast, uh, our three-peat guest, Melanie Scala. Uh, welcome back, Melanie. How's it going? It's going pretty good, aside from the aforementioned destroyed stove. <laughs> yes, you had you had a cookie dough incident, which I think is appropriate since we're talking about Buffy the Vampire Slayer. But indeed, uh, so you were last seen around these parts uh, discussing the prom. Actually, it wasn't really that long ago. What was that? Two episodes ago? Yeah, it was like yeah, wow. no three, three. Because I have two sitting in my queue. Okay, all right. I'm glad someone keeps track of how this podcast works because it sure isn't me. But anyways, uh, it doesn't feel like that long ago. You were just here talking about the prom and uh, here we are in college. All grows up. Yep. Um, all right. So first, I want to give a little caveat to the listeners and possibly you uh, as my guest, Melanie. Um, I, I'm feeling a little out of sorts. I, granted, I am not as out of sorts as I was yesterday. Melanie, when you and I were originally going to record this, I am slightly in better sorts, I guess, than I was yesterday. But at the time of this recording, yesterday, uh, Stan Lee passed away uh, at the age of 95. And even though we've known this has been coming, I mean, he's 95 years old. He, he's had a couple of health scares for at least a year now, every time I would see his name pop up in uh, the news or whatever, my I always panicked and... Yesterday was finally the day. Feeling like it was coming didn't prepare me for the impact that yeah. I felt. I, I'm kind of reeling from that. It's it's one of those passings that's I'm going to be processing for a very long time. So um, that's completely understandable. Anybody who's important to your life, whether you know them or not, even if you expect their death, it's still sort of unexpected. Yeah. So. Um, we it, events conspired to prevent us from recording yesterday, which was probably for the best. But I am I'm still I have my feet slightly more under me today than I did yesterday. However, I still just want to put that warning out there. And then one last thing: I don't typically do this in the intros to this podcast. I don't talk about like breaking news or anything usually. But I just wanted to mention. Uh, I believe it was today at the time of this recording. It might have been yesterday too. I can't remember now, but. Uh, news broke that uh, the live-action Star Wars series The Mandalorian had apparently... I had read it as they had cast their lead, the titular Mandalorian of the series, uh, today, or whatever. I'm now seeing reports that 
this actor is in talks, but I don't know. Uh, the actor Pedro Pascal has either been cast or is very close to being cast as the lead in that series. And the reason why, the only reason I bring that up here on this silly Buffy podcast is because um, I just had a discussion with Stephanie on the last episode of this podcast uh, about uh, poor dead Eddie who had his one and only appearance in the Buffyverse uh, in The Freshman, in episode 401, The Freshman. Um, and I really wished that he had stuck around. And I mentioned the fact, even though I, I used his name, I, I not incorrectly, because it is his name. I called him Pedro Balmacita, I believe is what I, how I referred to him, completely ignoring yes. the fact that he goes by Pedro Pascal now. Yes. Um, yeah, but... he's got a first name before Pedro. And uh... yeah. That, that name that you said that I am completely <laughs> lost out of my brain since then. Balmacita, the I think. Yes, yeah. there you go. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so we talked briefly about him and how I, I loved him as his all-too-brief stint as Eddie. I really wish Eddie had stuck around. And uh, I loved him as Oberyn Martell in uh, Game of Thrones, which was also a far-too-brief role and how I've really wanted him to have a, a longer part in something and so oh like david my boyfriend um he's the reason that i watched that show because i had no interest uh -huh. and when it came to the point where he died i i yelled at david and was like <laughs> we're not watching this anymore <laughs> yeah yeah i mean at this point in game of thrones you just kind of have to accept that all of the characters like i just just today i finally my wife and i finally started watching uh bodyguard on uh netflix which stars uh richard madden who right. who i know he's done other things but i know him from game of thrones is rob stark mm -hmm. um and i love like i controversially said rob was always my favorite stark <laughs> um he really didn't have that long a run so you know Arya may have surpassed him at this point, but at any rate, I loved him as Rob Stark, and uh, I always wanted—I was sad that he died and wanted him to have a longer role. And everyone's been telling me that the bodyguard is tremendous, so just finally watched—just watched the first two episodes right before jumping on the mic, and it is—it is pretty great. Well, that's so. good to know. Every time I see it, like in the recommendations, I have to double take because the way they photographed him and the way his hair is cut, mm -hmm. I keep thinking that it's um. Sebastian Stan. And then I get he, disappointed, even he, though I like <laughs> him as well. I, I like, I like Rob Stark also. There are some, Stan is better. There definitely are some similarities. Now that you say that I can, I can easily see how you could mistake the two, but at any rate, um, we're not here to talk about any of that stuff. <laughs> we're here to it's talk. True. We're here to talk about Buffy. So uh, let me uh, drop this spoiler warning in here that everybody loves so much. The, the real reason people tune in conversations with dead people is not a typical rewatch and review podcast. We're going to be exploring the plots, characters, and themes of each episode in depth and within the context of the series as a whole. That means spoilers and lots of them. So I recommend if you haven't already watched Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Angel the series all the way through at least once, please press pause on the podcast and go do that right now. In the meantime, with that out of the way, Melanie, if you're ready, let's go to work. I want to fight the dragon. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, a reference that will never get old to me, but I, some of my <laughs> listeners don't know what that is yet. Um, anyways, so 
possibly three of the most requested episodes of Buffy to discuss. That's absolutely not true. I think I think it was only you and maybe one other person wanted to talk about these. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, tonight we're talking about episodes 404, Fear Itself, uh, 405, Beer Bad. That's the biggie. That's the big one right there. And 406, mm-hmm. Wild at Heart. And I'm just going to say uh, a little tease. You may be surprised which of these episodes I have the most to say about. Um, Interesting. Yeah, we'll see how it goes. But I'm going to, as the guest, I'm going to give it to you first. Uh, what are your thoughts? Let's well, start with Fear Itself. Before we start with any of that, I just want to send a very negative shout out to AJ, who, Arlo, who um, did the original breaking up of what episodes uh-huh. of the show go with, what episodes of the podcast for pairing two super light, frothy episodes with Wild at Heart. Yes, yeah. <laughs> I I was watching them yesterday, and it, it took a while because I had to keep pausing to write down my notes. And then by the time, it was like four hours of, of watching and taking notes. And by the time I was done, I was like, I need to go to bed and cry. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I mean, okay, first of all, for my listeners... Uh, what Melanie did right there, absolutely perfect. That is what I want my listeners to do. <laughs> As every time people have said that they really appreciate how some of these episodes are paired, I'm, I give credit where credit is due. I'm like, that was all Arlo. He came up with this original list. I haven't adjusted any of that yet. There may come a time. Uh, but most importantly, if you have a problem with the way these episodes are arranged, that is also Arlo's fault. <laughs> so... <laughs> I strongly encourage my listeners and my guests to call him out at every opportunity. So I suppose uh, to play devil's advocate, I could say um, throwing wild at heart into the mix at least gives us something to talk about fear itself and beer bad. If this episode was just about those, like nobody would have signed up (laughs) to talk about. Uh, I totally would have. Oh, okay. Beer bad is, I am one of the like six people in the known universe that really loves beer bad. Oh, fascinating. Fascinating. Okay. Um, well then <laughs> let's, let's start with fear itself. But now I, like I told Stephanie last week, I can't wait to get to beer bad just to see how this goes. And now I'm even more excited. So, <laughs> all right. Fear well, itself. Um, the new Halloween. This is episode. one of my favorites. I, I, uh, I always watch it every year around Halloween because it's just, I love both that uh, it's, it's kind of legitimately spooky, mm-hmm. and then they take the piss out of it at the end. It has one of the best hilarious endings of an episode. Yes. I David doesn't really care for Whedon works other than Firefly, uh-huh. so um, he gets very annoyed. You know, he'll, he'll come in to use the TV, and I'm like, no, you have to watch this. And he's like, but I don't find it interesting or funny, and I make <laughs> him sit down, and basically we're terrible people. <laughs> <laughs> we do this to each other all the time. It's like, no, you have to watch this. Well, I mean, it's only fair. He made you watch uh, Game of Thrones. You might as well make him watch Buffy. This is a logical argument, but most of the time he leaves anyway. Oh, well. All right. So why? So it, because it's creepy and funny. That's why it's one of your favorites. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Um, is there? So remind me. Is there? still another Halloween episode in our future? Um, 
I can't. I think there's one in season six. I think it's two, four, and six that have Halloween episodes. Okay. All right. I felt like this was sort of a, a Buffy tradition, and then as I was watching Fear itself, I was like, maybe, maybe it's only the two. I could, I couldn't remember. But, anyways, uh, so the previous Halloween episode, uh, obviously featured, as I'm sure everyone remembers, featured our characters inhabiting their costumes. Um. And we have a nice callback to that yeah. when they're on their way to the party. Yeah, with uh, Xander saying that he dressed up as James Bond for insurance in case we get turned into our costumes again. And Buffy told him that he's probably going to be cool head waiter guy. Yeah. So what are our thoughts on this? Let me see. Let me skip past all my notes and just get to my like big thoughts. Um, <laughs> I want to say that the... Uh, the kid that jumps out at Buffy in the demon mask. That's Albert Hodge. That was... Sorry, I, I was really excited about that when I realized it's Aldous Hodge. No um, way. He was on leverage, yeah. I, I was looking up the, because I, I started keeping account of people of color uh-huh. with these episodes. And, and Fear Itself and Beer Bad actually have a kind of okay number, yeah. even though none yeah. of them really... Most of them don't have a lot of lines, but right. um, yeah, I, I was looking up on IMDb and it's Aldous Hodge. That is amazing. I uh, I missed that. That's tremendous. Um, well, now I want that kid to come back. No, I, the, <laughs> what I was going to say about that is uh, I thought that was interesting because the the joke of that, that's the end of the cold open of the episode, and the joke of it is right. that... You know, it's a kid jumping out in a demon mask, and so Buffy just reacts without thinking and just punches him in the face. First of all, Slayer strength. She could have taken his head off. Um, second of all, it, so, so here's totally my... Totally justified. Here, okay, yeah. Yes. I. Okay, yes. You're right. Totally justified <laughs> because you shouldn't jump out. You shouldn't yes. jump out and scare people like that. Especially uh, on an otherwise deserted street. Right. You're... Right. You're just asking for trouble. But my question here is, if Buffy had had a stake on her, which she actually, she probably did, since she always does, but I, I'm, ju I'm just thinking back to Faith accidentally killing the deputy mayor. Uh, I think she goes for a, a punch and then stab kind of You think Buffy, style. Buffy so, does? I don't think it would necessarily have happened. She, she I, wouldn't I have... She she would have just would instinctively have... staked him on the spot. Yeah, she she would have had, she would have punched him and then maybe like whipped out the stake and made her trademark quip before doing so if he was actually a vampire. Okay, that's fair enough. I mean, obviously she didn't stake him. She was distracted. <laughs> she did have her mind on other things, so it's always possible. But I, th you make a fair point. I just I couldn't help but wonder if we were gonna go like if she was gonna play deputy mayor on the guy, but. What else do we have? So the the sort of gimmick with Willow and Oz's Halloween costumes. I love it. One of my favorite gags from the entire series. Uh, like it's <laughs> uh, when I was talking to Stephanie last week, I just commented. We, we were mentioning the stuff that we see in the new credits, the new opening titles. And one of them I was like, and I saw the new Halloween costumes. The reason why I made note of that is because um, the Willow as Joan of Arc is is uh, amusing, and yes, she almost got burned in a state at the stake, and all that's funny. But the one of the greatest things that the show has ever done was just have Oz casually 
move his shirt to the side so you could see his my name is God uh, name tag. Yes, I agree. Um, well, speaking of the credits, there was, it's totally minor, but something that I really love is when they go into the final fast guitar riff, mm -hmm. they start it with a shot of Oz playing guitar and it just makes me happy. Like, it, it's sort of like he's playing it even though obviously he's not. Yes, yes. Um, also, I want to, <laughs> I guess I need to call this out. Um, I love the idea that when people listen to my podcasts, they are just screaming at their radio or listening device or whatever as they hear me make mistakes. Uh, I talked about how much I love the whole Buffy doing the the gunslinger move when she spins the stake, she twirls the stake in her hand. Yes. And we talked about how we thought, Stephanie and I talked about how we thought that replaced the uh, the shot of Buffy holding the hungamunga and like looking over her shoulder all menacingly that has been in the credits for, I think a couple seasons at this point. Um, and I think we both thought that maybe that had been replaced with the twirling stake, not the case. Both scenes are still there. The final shot of the credits remains the Buffy looking all dangerous with the hungamunga thing. The hungamunga is from season three, episode one, isn't it? It's so from, is it Anne? Oh, that is season three. You're right. Yeah, it's it's Anne. Yeah, I forgot that was season yeah, three. So I wouldn't have expected them to to move it this soon. Does that ever go away, or do we keep that the rest of the time? I don't know. All right. I'm... Honestly, I don't pay that much attention to the credits anymore. I'd have to. I'd have to look. Yeah. Well, I'm instituting a formal hungamunga watch, so. <laughs> I will make, I'll try to remember to make note of when and if that ever is taken out of the credits. Um, in the meantime, uh, we get Giles uh, embracing the Halloween spirit, which was hilarious. That is my, one of my favorite scenes. I just, I love Buffy's reaction to, uh, it's a sombrero with, and it's on your head. Yeah. 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 Um, that was amazing. I also thought, I, sorry, I have a, a note about how, like, that costume is a little culturally insensitive, you know, <laughs> okay. and um, right. sort of goes with his views expressed in pangs where he's just like, yeah, but we can't really do anything. So who cares? Which is a great simplification, I know. But yeah, well, that's not that's next week. Next week, I get yes. to we get to discuss pangs. But um yeah, that's a thing that happens on the show a few more times, <laughs> like yeah. ma like maybe for the rest of its run. But um, So I want to know when exactly it was. I want to be a fly on the wall when the conversation between Slayer and Mom took place where Joyce had to finally make peace with the fact that her ex-boyfriend was a homicidal robot. I know. I have a note on that. When did Buffy tell her about Ted? I, I, I was trying to remember back to Ted, and I didn't think... Yeah, at the very end, uh, Buffy made that scrap heap of life joke. Okay. So it was clear that, that Joyce did not know then. Yeah. Because it was very awkward. I just wonder, I, I mean, I guess we're supposed to assume that now that Joyce is in on the whole Slayer thing, there have been many nights where they've just sat around watching B-movies and, and uh, eating popcorn and discussing all of the things that the Slayer has done. Maybe, I guess, but yeah, I just... I figure, like, probably Joyce is like, 
wait, so that one time when this happened, was that actually Slayer stuff? Right. Yeah. I just wish we'd gotten to hear that conversation. Yes. Um, so let's talk about Oz's concern. Well, it's Oz and Buffy, uh, but uh, primarily Oz's concern about Willow sort of tapping into the forces of darkness. As we've discussed many times, I am a ridiculously huge Oz fan, as are you. Yes. So, like, I think it's adorable and um, annoying. It's adorable? Why is it annoying? Uh, just, like, he he is supportive at the end of the conversation, saying that, you know, he's in her corner and everything, but, like, Buffy, or not Buffy, Willow, clearly beforehand, you know, she she's telling Buffy... And Puffy's like, oh, I thought this was feel my pain, not encouragement. Right. And when when Oz comes up and hears what they were talking about magic, his his first response is, you didn't encourage her, did you? And while I understand the concern, I also would be like, dude, if it was me. <laughs> okay. No, that's <clears throat> that's interesting. If you, yeah, if you're living in that moment, like if we take it just as the characters in that moment, I guess maybe, um, I, I still kind of side with Oz in that, but more importantly, what I want to discuss is how prescient that is for actually both of those characters. Um, sadly for, uh, Oz sooner than for Willow, but both characters are going to I've made jokes on the podcast before about how Willow is sort of rushing the process about how like in one episode, uh, Willow will say, Oh, that kind of magic takes years and years to master. And then we'll get uh, a break between seasons. And when we come back, she's mastered it or whatever. And I'm like, Oh, so years and years, unless you're on the show, in which case it's about three months. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so we, there, there's plenty of examples and in particular, in a wild at heart of Willow kind of stepping right up to that line um, where that line that she will be stepping up to and occasionally crossing just a little bit uh, repeatedly for the rest of the series, I think. Yeah. I basically, I watched uh, episodes, the, the first three episodes and then I think two or three episodes I watched through hush basically in the past two days. Okay. So um, I feel like they're Willow's Willow's um, recurring mini arc this season is charging right up to that line over and over. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'm, try, I'm trying to remember. Well, we'll get there when we get to Hush. We'll get there. I was trying to remember what role she plays in Hush, but uh, I'll save that for that discussion. Um, we get the introduction of the whole... Well, so the gimmick of this Halloween episode isn't the costumes. It's ever it's all of the characters' fears um, and insecurities and all that. But before we get into what everybody's fear and insecurity is, we get we get Anya's bunny phobia. The first instance <laughs> of An- Anya's bunny phobia. So um, yeah, I remember last night I was thinking, like, considering how much more intense it is in like season six when uh she's like 
up on the the counter in the magic shop trying to avoid a bunny mm-hmm. that they accidentally conjured. Mm-hmm. It's it's surprising to me that she was so comfortable in the bunny suit. Right. Now that that is a thing that gets explained at some point, correct? I don't remember when and I don't remember what the explanation is, but I feel like we get her fear of bunnies? Yeah. Yeah, it's explained, I think, in a season six episode, but it could be the season five episode. One of the Olaf episodes. Okay. All right. It's it's sort of explained. Basically, she raised rabbits then and has lots of trauma associated with that time. Okay. Got it. Got it. In the meantime, it's just a funny joke. Yes. I I guess we'll discuss when that comes around, whether or not the character benefits from having that recurring joke explained but in the meantime it's funny especially uh xander's reaction at the end where he's like this this is your scary costume i actually like i was watching to see like he doesn't blink for that entire like small section of the episode he just is staring at her unblinking um so let's talk about everybody's fears oh actually before we go there before we go there um there's the the scene when uh Buffy and Willow kind of get at each other uh when Willow's like I'm not your sidekick or whatever just because you know being the slayer doesn't automatically make you the boss again foreshadowing which i assume hmm. which i assume Joss and the writers must have had at least va- you know at least an idea of kind of where they were going to go with some of this stuff um I don't know how specific they plan to get, but that felt like a strong foreshadowing to me. And I, I, it's foreshadowing of a conversation that will probably get me in trouble. Let's put it that way. Okay. Um, I, I kind of, I kind of generally speaking tend to come down on Willow's side in that argument. Okay. you, You don't want to engage with that. Um, I think it's more complicated than just um, Buffy is the boss or Buffy isn't the boss, right. basically. Yes. And I, I very much a uh, equivocator on this one. I see both sides very well. <laughs> okay, fair enough. And of course, in this instance, their sort of heads are being played with, anyways. So. Yes, I, I like though they. This is clearly an intentional foreshadowing for the end of the season. Even if they don't know exactly what they're where they're going, they know pretty much where they're going. But it's also uh, probably unintentional foreshadowing for season seven. That's actually what I was thinking of. I had forgotten. Uh, I had forgotten that it was foreshadowing for uh, the end of season four. If if that once again, my memories of this show are spotty. If that actually plays out within this season, then I would. I'd say they absolutely know what they're foreshadowing with that. Um, I was like, there the issues show up frequently. Like they they don't just show up at the end of the season; they pop up throughout the season. So, um, like it it comes to a head during the Yoko factor. But yeah, oh yeah, okay. It, it, like you, they they definitely laid the groundwork really well for that. Okay, I was forgetting about the Yoko factor. <laughs> um. And then just one, one more foreshadowing. We have um, the talk where Joyce uh, tells Buffy, you know, I'll always be there for you. Oh, you're a terrible person. 
I'm a terrible person. You're a terrible person. <laughs> I didn't write the darn thing. The terrible person is Joss, who in the first Joss is also a terrible the, person. The first episode of <laughs> of this season, he had that whole I hope it's a funny aneurysm uh joke, which Stephanie yes. and I talked about and I was like at the time that was hilarious. In hindsight, that is one of the most brutal things Joss has ever put in one of these episodes. Absolutely. Um and then in this we get the whole I'll always be there for you and I wouldn't have picked this up on my own, so I can't take credit for it. But while I was sort of researching these episodes, uh, it came to my attention that this is the fourth episode of this season. The fourth episode of season six is when, no, I'm sorry. Yeah, season six is when we get the first health scare. No, season five. Oh, no, I had it right the first time, season five. I apologize. <laughs> Anyways, yes. Yeah, so, yeah, that's when... Um, that's when Joyce has her first, I can't remember how specific it gets, but I, the fourth episode of next season is so exactly one season away from this moment when, when Joyce says, I'll always be there for you is when, uh, Joss or whoever wrote the episode decides to say, but will you though? <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyways. All right. Let's talk about the fears. I'm going to go cry now. <laughs> <laughs> okay. We haven't even gotten to wild at heart. Um, what uh, what about everybody's fears and how do we think those are going to play out in the rest of the season? Let me find in my notes. I have so many notes that are just making fun of business bro. Business bro. The um the white guy who wears the the Rasta hat for his costume. Oh yeah 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 yeah. I I just call him business bro because he looks like he's forty and he has like. <laughs> hair plugs it, like he does like when he's dead he actually has like his hair's messed up in a way that it looks much more natural than it does in the earlier scenes but he in the earlier scenes he looks like he has like hair plugs or something it's just a perfectly straight line <laughs> how tragic that he, the actor looks better when he's all made up with a broken neck and he's right zombified um all right well while you're uh looking for your notes i'll look at mine and uh so willow i think we've already talked a little bit about her and the fact that her issues with magic she's going to be walking right up to that line she's testing her limits she's learning her limits first of all and gradually she's going to start testing her limits um but right now kind of her fears tend to be about um losing control uh, of her, losing control of her magic and she has the like that's all i was initially going to say is her her fears focus on her magic, like not being taken seriously, that she's just the sidekick and that she can't control her magic. But then there's, she has the whole sort of fear where she cries out, Oz, don't leave me. Oz, Oz don't, don't leave, leave me. me. Yeah. Um, so obviously that's a big one. And heartbreaking foreshadowing yeah. because we're like two episodes away yeah. from him leaving town which is heartbreaking for so many reasons, but yeah. So, um, Oz got off lucky. I, this is terrible. That was a terrible thing to say. I was going to say Oz got off lucky cause he only had one fear to be <laughs> addressed. His, his only fear, as far as I can tell, it was the whole losing control of his, of the wolf inside and hurting his friends. Um, yeah, I think, um, like he and Will had like sort of a joint thing going on where they were both, worried about their their emotional strength and control right and then will has her other thing with uh her her relationship with with uh the group and her relationship with oz are both kind of she feels a little threatened 
on both of those fronts. We'll talk more about this when we get into uh, where the wild things are, obviously, but I find it fascinating. I'm sorry? Wild at heart, not where the wild things are. I'm sorry, I'm completely pedantic. Okay, no, thank you for correcting me. <laughs> where the wild things are is an episode of the show, so I need to make sure I'm, uh, yeah. Wild... And it's this season, it is I think. The, it is this season? I think so. It's this one or the next one. It's Buffy Riley. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it is. It is the 18th episode of this season. Anyways, Wild at Heart. We'll get more into it there. But I think it's interesting that Oz... Um, I mean, it, it was always interesting that Oz, of all the character of all people, is the character that they made a werewolf. And since sort of the... One of the... One of the shticks of werewolf fiction is the whole losing control. And Oz is the character that always seems the most in control and restrained and just even keeled. And so it's just, it was a fascinating choice to make that character, the one that has the uncontrollable beast inside. It makes sense though. I mean, it's a very Whedon thing to do. Mm -hmm. Like with uh, the Genesis of Buffy, he, with his desire to uh, invert the blonde falling down and getting eaten trope yeah. of horror movies he's trying to you know do what is unexpected or doesn't fit the the mold necessarily yeah um i i said oz only had one fear but i guess xander really only had the one fear too um uh, the whole uh being left behind or whatever like like becoming invisible and insignificant and expendable to his friends i think it's it's interesting that basically all of them except Oz had the fear that their place in the group is changing and possibly they're, they're afraid that it's gone yeah. basically because Buffy, like her fears are about, you know, romantic relationships and, and more broadly relationships with the men in her life. But it's also about like, everybody in her life i mean the very last line uh that gagnar gets his final they're all, gonna leave they're all they're all gonna abandon you you know um <laughs> and just the way he delivered that line is one of those typical typically whedon-y things where it's delivered and played in the moment as a joke it's mm -hmm. it's haha -ha funny but it's it's not actually um if you know what's coming, it's not funny. Right. <laughs> um, and that is, uh, so Buffy's fears, like you said, focus on, um, she can't save her friends. Her friends are all going to, to abandon her. Uh, but then the other two sort of thing, well, there's the, it doesn't really come up in the haunted house so much, but in this episode, um, Buffy, they kind of address the whole fear she still carries that fear that the her parents' divorce was about her. Mm-hmm. Um, but then the uh, what you call him the business bro the the un yeah business, uh, frat, yeah business frat bro yeah the undead <laughs> business frat bro says uh, no matter how hard you'll fight no matter how hard you fight you'll just end up in the same place. Um, and he was as you're watching the episode, you take that to mean the scene that you're watching, which is her fighting mm -hmm. against all of these zombies that just keep rising up out of the ground. But in the larger picture that I, that's also one of her fears that she's just, you know, 
going through the motions? <laughs> yes, exactly. Yes, I did do that on purpose, and I'm a terrible person. No, that was great. That was great. I'm giving you a golf clap right now. Um, yeah, that she, you know, it's just an endless parade of, of uh, evil that's coming her way, one apocalypse after the other, and she's never going to make a dent in it, so. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Anyways, I don't, I feel like we're really struggling to make something out of this episode. <laughs> Yeah, most of my notes, even though there's like several, several pages of notes, are just like little reactions to stuff. Uh-huh. Hey, everyone, like, it's Giles with a chainsaw. Exactly. Um, there's Giles' chainsaw heart in my notes. Nice. I love that little smirk he does. Like he when he's on the porch and he pulls out the chainsaw for the first time and then he, he starts to walk towards the camera and he's got this little smirk. Then it's just a, like a hint of Ripper and I love it. Yes. Yeah. Um, I was, I was going to be all in sense. (laughs) Like I was saying, uh, my memories are spotty, but I, I was going to, I was prepared in my notes to jump on this show, uh, and say, uh, wait a minute, don't werewolf scratches have the same effect as werewolf bites. And then I almost immediately, I was like, oh, wait, wait, never mind. Like that, (laughs) like, that's not real. Like, I don't think, or was it, she wasn't really, I don't think it's a thing in um like the scratch actually happened it did but i don't think the the scratch being something that turned someone was a thing in this particular uh mythology was it i now i feel like it's just now i can't remember now i'm gonna have to look that up because i was all prepared (laughs) i thought it was and i was like all prepared to be to to you know catch them in a flub or whatever and then I was like, no, wait a minute, this isn't real. But as I was just saying that, I was like, no, it was real. He did really scratch her. So I guess Willow, maybe that's why Willow goes the way she does. She's part werewolf now. I don't know. <laughs> um, all right. I, I, there's not really a whole lot more that we... I have, like, just a few, like, random character notes. Okay. Um. First of all, I have nothing bad to say about Xander this episode. <laughs> Amen. Amen. He, he was, I really liked his delivery when he was talking to Anya and she's talking about how it's their anniversary and she's like, did you forget? And the way he said, no, I, no, I, I, did, I didn't forget that was sincere and earnest instead of like, uh, no, duh. <laughs> okay. Which, um, he also has, uh, some some good moments I think in the next episode where I'm like wow he he's an emotionally mature person for a minute yeah no actually I think the next two episodes um, I think I probably made notes I'm not going to scan them right now but I'm pretty sure I made notes uh, that I I sort of so last week I talked with Steph about how Xander's not all that bad like in these episodes we're discussing there's nothing Mm -hmm. i feel like i need to call him out for um and then in these not only do i agree i don't remember there being anything where i was like oh xander you idiot Um, but there are actually a couple examples where i'm like dang xander's like i think it's when i think well we'll get to it in wild at heart when uh when willow goes to him for comfort or whatever and he's he seems like genuinely capable of being the the one with the shoulder people can cry on and he can give good advice 
Mm-hmm. I don't feel this like this is definitely where like it makes sense when they start calling him the heart of the group. This yes works with that. Yeah. Um. All right. Uh, anything else? Did you ever, like TP when when you were young and a hellion of some sort. <laughs> I did not. And this <laughs> this is interesting because grow I I never TP'd anything. Uh like any when I was growing up that was um that that was like vandalism. Like kids would go school kids would go and they would TP the house of people they didn't like or whatever. It was something you did to people mm-hmm. you didn't like. Um it now I live in a state where one of the the college football teams they celebrate all of their victories by uh by rolling tumors corner like the 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 college town just gets completely covered up with toilet paper as a celebration and so that's weird it is weird and i've tried explaining to my wife the first when i moved here and she showed me that i was like that's awful why would they do that? <laughs> She's like, no, they're having fun. They're celebrating. I'm like, oh, okay, if you say so. It's always been a bad thing in my mind. Yeah, I like. I've always associated this as a strictly pop culture thing of of in the '80s, maybe like people TP'd and and egged houses and what have you, destroyed uh, pumpkins. But um, mm. like this was by the time I was of age to remember Halloween. Mm-hmm. Um, it was very much, uh, every, my parents and all the other suburban parents were like, we must organize Halloween so that everyone's trick or treating and no one has time to get in trouble. <laughs> That's interesting. Um, yeah, I, I, uh, I never personally like egged anybody's house or TP'd anybody or destroyed a jack-o'-lanterns, but I do growing up. I remember that those were things. I remember people doing those. I was just never involved in it. So, but it's interesting that you, uh, that your parents and the the parents in your neighborhood organized, like tried to keep the kids too busy to uh, pull any yeah. It was tricks like on Halloween. Over the course of the twentieth century, I feel like they Halloween went from like a night of mischievous celebration to maybe a little less celebrating and more mischievy to the trick or treating to now like the go to the mall to trick or treat or go to a church and trunk or treat. Yeah. Yeah. It's I like, don't, uh, I can't you get less and less, uh, autonomy as a child on Halloween as, as the time goes on. Yeah. I can't remember the last time I was aware of any like actual neighborhood, just kids going out through their neighborhood trick or treating. It's all, organized stuff now there's a chirp there's a mega church across the street from my house basically that does it every year all right let's uh let's stop avoiding it beer bad before we get to that i have a question oh, okay uh when buffy has been separated from her friends and she falls into the basement to hang out with dead frat bro mm-hmm. um do you think that's the same set that they used in season five, episode one as the chick pit? Um, Cause it looks like she just goes through a door and then falls into a hole. Very chick- similarly. To, yeah. The, when the um, Dracula one. Yeah. Dracula's cave and then Giles falls in and uh, Riley rescues him. And then he wants to go back for his shoe and Riley <laughs> says, no more chick pit for you. 
I I don't do not remember. I have almost no memory of that whatsoever. Oh, that breaks my heart. Season five, I think that the premiere is the best premiere of the series. Okay. And I love season five as the, I think it's the best season as a overall um, story. Well, no, I, now I absolutely love season five, but as I've said multiple times, my memory is spotty and I don't, I do not remember being fond of Buffy versus Dracula. We'll, we will see when we get there, we'll see. Um, Cause I've surprised myself with some of the stuff that I thought I would hate. And I turned out, I, I, it turns out I love and, vice versa so but at the moment i can just tell you that the only thing the only thing of buffy versus dracula i remember is the the nobody's butt monkey line (laughs) well if if it turns out that everyone else is like um that's terrible just remember that i also really love bram stoker's dracula with keanu reeves now i like that movie i like that movie i adore it i i acknowledge that it's not good but i adore it Okay, so to answer your question, I I can't answer your question. I have no idea if it's the same set. I suppose it's it's entirely possible. Um, Hopefully, someone else will weigh in on the yeah. the Facebook group. Yeah. Conversations with conversations with dead people. In case anyone has forgotten. <laughs> um, all right, beer bad. I uh, I had suggested when I was um, teasing this last week. I had suggested that perhaps one or both of us would be drunk by this point in the episode. <laughs> I don't, I turns out I actually kind of liked beer bad. So I did not uh, imbibe anything this evening. I'm just drinking Coke. Nothing exciting. Yeah. I've got some coconut LaCroix. All right. So you're clearly disappointments to the college set. I know. I'm sorry. I should have at least had a beer. I don't know what I was thinking anyways. So this one um, is famously bad. Like this is on the, I think the bottom of a lot of people's lists. Um, it really is. And just because of that reputation and I, my spotty memory, I guess if you had forced me to rank, I hate ranking things, but if you had forced me before this rewatch to rank, I, it probably would have been near the bottom of mine too, just because I didn't remember any redeeming qualities. Having watched it now, I'm a little bit stunned. I'm still not prepared. I'm still not prepared to become a, like a real defender of beer bad, but, um, there, there's actually a lot to talk about in here. And I found myself <laughs> like my notes go from, I'm struggling to find anything really worth discussing to then I have a whole bunch of notes of stuff that I want to discuss. So <laughs> I, I'm not going to say that this is like a completely problem free episode, mm-hmm. but uh, I really like silliness and um, that's uh, I like the original Buffy movie because it was funny mm-hmm. and goofy. And um, so this episode actually was instrumental in me bonding with uh, one of my closest friends. We worked together at Tower Records and nice. uh, it became a point where um, every time one of us saw the other, the first one to see the other would just say, foamy. <laughs> wow. <laughs> okay. Um. I, I, I'm I ashamed. I promised myself I was only going to refer to this episode as Clan of the Cave Beer, and I, complete, <laughs> I completely forgot that. So just pretend that every time I've said beer bad, I'm actually saying Clan of the Cave Beer. Uh, 
Okay. Besides the line foamy, what, um, <laughs> what is it about this episode? Why do people hate it? And why don't we hate it? I think a lot of the hate comes from um, the over-the-top ridiculousness of cave slayer and cave frat boys. Mm-hmm. But see, I don't think that's any goofier than half the stuff in the previous seasons. I don't think it's that it's goofier. It's I don't think that um it's handled super well. Like it's much more they they go back and forth between them being like kind of stupid mm-hmm. to being just like toddlers. Yeah. They they don't seem like I think with the the uh cold open with the pleasure principle and the id um, they're going for that, which makes the the characters of the cave people more toddlery, and uh, they maybe could have made it a little bit less cringeworthy if they had just been like emotional regression rather than uh, regression to a previous DNA structure right. in our past. Right. Right. Uh, by the way, I I refer in my notes to the the cavemen guys as the Beeranderthals. That's oh, how nice. I, that's how I referred <laughs> to them every time. And one of those Beeranderthals was Cal Penn. It was yes. That kind of blew my mind. I missed I missed Aldous Hodge. I'm ashamed to say, but I caught Cal Penn. Um, all right, you mentioned the cold open and the whole pleasure pleasure principle and all that. Um, I I liked that um the uh as I've said before I adore fight sequences and that kind of choreography and all that even though it was an intentionally over the top complete with the craziest sort of electronica fight music that the show yes. has ever used but that sort of dream sequence at the beginning with her saving Parker some of the best just single fight Buffy versus a handful of vampires choreography the show has had to this point. And they do a really good job of uh, disguising the switches between Sophia and uh, Sarah. Yes. Yes. I praised uh, the harsh light of day for that very same thing. Uh, The two fight sequences in that um, were done really, really well. I feel like maybe they've, they've kind of figured it out for this season. They've gotten much better at uh, the amount of, sort of screen time, the amount of time a camera holds on uh, the stunt actor versus the amount of time it holds on Sarah Michelle Gellar. Um, Yeah. As I said before, I watched basically the first like six or seven episodes today and yesterday. And the only time that I think they didn't do great at that was the fight at the end of the, uh, not the freshman, um, the one with Kathy when they find out she's a demon living conditions. Yes. Yeah. 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 They, they, and like I've mentioned before, I think the hair, the hairstyle is mm-hmm. a big part of that. Buffy's hair is up in that one. And then it's down in other fights that make it a little easier for them to disguise. Right. Yeah. Um, I also, oh, go ahead. This is completely off topic except for having to do with the open. I have this one note that just says Parker caterpillar eyebrows. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> I, I hadn't noticed. I, for a second, I thought you were going to say 
I've, I've got a note that says Parker Caterpillar. And I was, I was hoping you'd just leave it at that and it would be completely <laughs> mysterious, but um, about in the cold open about professor Walsh's uh, pleasure principle thing. I wanted to point out, I don't know if anybody else noticed this, if I was completely making it up or if it was so obvious that it had to be intentional, but as she's talking about how these are the things we want, uh, food, shelter, sex, the picture, and she's going through the slideshow, the picture for sex looks so much like the man and woman in that picture are so clearly meant to look like Buffy and Parker. In my I opinion. have not noticed that at all. So much so that I rewound and paused to make sure that it wasn't actually Buffy and Parker. Oh, wow. I'll have to look at it after we get off, after we stop recording. So I, I, I could be imagining that. But anyways, um, nothing can defeat the penis. I want to talk, I want to talk <laughs> about that line, not because, I mean, it's a funny line, but what I, it is a funny I line. want to talk about it because what the heck was up with that audio? Did, okay. Like how Xander gets super loud. Yeah. Like it sounded dubbed. It sounded like, like overdubbed, like they had done some sort of audio trick to it. It certainly didn't sound like it. I mean, it, to me, it didn't even sound like nicholas brendan's voice it was so weird oh it just seemed to me like i say things in different voices yeah a lot so it just seemed to me like he was doing a voice it was oh man it was jarring um it's a hilarious line but i was like what the, i don't know it was, that was crazy um let's see what else have i got here um they do a lot of um they do a direct allusion to a cocktail, but they also, with um, Xander always wearing Hawaiian shirts this episode, they're, they're kind of... Right. Aside from setting the scene for all of his terrible fashion choices this season, um, he, he's clearly like being like, I'm going to do do that Tom Cruise thing and be cool and be part of the gang again. We, I kind of wish we'd gotten a, a shot of him trying to flip a bottle. <laughs> and completely whiffing it but um so the the beer anderthals <laughs> when they're trying when they've finally got buffy to sit with them and they're trying to impress her uh there's the one whose name i i think it's i think the character's name was colm maybe but anyways yeah he's the, the first douche the the first douche like, douche number one uh, yes i i've ranked them in in order of doucheness the first douche is the worst douche and we go down to um kip who is the thomas aquinas guy yes he's the least douchey he's the least douchey yes no there'll be no thomas aquinas at this table (laughs) that's what i was leading up to i thought that was hilarious um but uh first douche which uh not to be confused with the first evil but we'll get there um (laughs) had that great line is like evil good these are moral absolutes that predate the fermentation of malt and fine hops had the earliest morality developed under the influence of beer there would be no good or evil there would just be kind of nice and pretty cool i don't know that i agree with that but it was a funny line it was a funny line i kind of feel like um beer probably if not beer then something equally uh intoxicating shall we say foamy. Um, probably existed yes something exactly as foamy <laughs> yeah um 
I was going to say we get our first spotting of Amy in this episode, but I don't think we do. I think what we see is Amy's ha- uh, Amy. If we see Amy's habit trail in in uh, Willow and Buffy's dorm room. I absolutely did not notice. It's when I, uh, I... it's when Willow comes like back into the room and she's mumbling about Veruca or whatever, <laughs> and uh, she's plopping herself down on the desk, and behind her you can see just part of like. Uh, a cage with some little habit trail stuff on it. So that makes sense. Cause it jibes with the placement of it when, uh, in, uh, something blue. Okay. Um, the, I think I said in graduation when, when, uh, I, I was discussing graduation day, uh, Buffy had the line fire bad tree pretty and I remember <laughs> I remember commenting then that I I never remember that that line comes from graduation. I was like I always feel like it comes from another episode and I said maybe beer bad. I don't know why I feel I don't know why I think that but that's where I think it comes from. Um Yeah. And then here we are at beer bad and there are multiple uses of the line fire bad. Fire bad. And there's uh they even follow the uh the rhythm of the line with uh, the cave bros, uh-huh. the, the beer Anderthals, when uh, Xander tries to intimidate them with his lighter, which is turned up really high. It is. It is. <laughs> uh, the the whichever one is out front says fire bad, and then he says fire pretty. That's right. Yeah. And then Xander says fire angry. And they run away. Yeah. Yes. Um. So I love. Anyways, so I I feel. My my memory may be shot, but I obviously had some. I clued into that it, somehow. But it very much stuck with you because it's one of the most important things. <laughs> it is, yeah. <laughs> there was a great transition, uh, a scene transition that happened where uh, it's when Xander and Giles come into Buffy's dorm, and she's she's gone full or almost full beer Anderthal. She's gone full. What does he call her? Cave Slayer? Is that what he, he refers yes. to her at one point? And she's like doing the cave painting on the wall. Mm-hmm. It cuts from that. It transitions from that uh, into the, I think it's called the grotto, whatever that student lounge or whatever thing. Yeah, I I had like, that's the biggest problem I have with this episode is trying to figure out if the bar and the, the coffee shop thing are like the same place. Are they part? Yeah. Are they just like both in the basement of some building or are they like, connected like what what's going on there yeah it, it frustrates me to an ridiculous to a ridiculous degree yeah. basically <laughs> I, I i yeah i i just i didn't i never saw i don't remember anybody naming it the grotto and i never saw a sign until at the very end like after the place burns down and everybody's outside in the background you can see painted the sign the grotto with an arrow pointing down some stairs so i i'm oh. i'm assuming that's what it's called uh, only... I, I don't remember seeing the sign, but I feel like, well, I don't remember it specifically from this episode. I feel like I've heard them talk about the grotto. Oh, okay. All right. During this season. Well, at any rate, so it transitions from Buffy doing cave paintings <laughs> on her, on the wall of her cave into what I guess is called the grotto and uh, Parker's sitting on a couch and the wall behind him has you don't you can't really make it out at first but eventually the camera pulls back enough that you can see the wall behind him has this gigantic stylized cave painting of a horse <laughs> on it and then of course the beer turn up and they 
turn the place into a cave-like lair anyways, complete right. with like a fire pit and all that. But it's just And a... you could argue that a basement, even if it's, you know, prettied up into a bar or coffee shop or whatever, is cave-like, cave-like. on its own. Yeah. Um, so I have to say, um, the, in light of the conversation that Stephanie and I had last week about Parker, I don't know if you've listened to last week's episode. Not yet. I was saving them for this week cause I'm cat sitting for my parents. Okay. Well, spoiler alert. We, neither one of us <laughs> are particularly down on Parker. Like we, 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 we talk about how Parker just is not the the end all be all of evil guys that the show is capable of giving us he's he's kind of a punk but that's it um he's not evil he's just a dick right um so in light of that conversation like i stand by everything that we said um but that was before these episodes and so i feel here's my potentially controversial opinion about the way parker is treated in this episode i feel like this episode is kind of about even more than sort of the the clumsy moralizing about alcohol, which that's also a thing that people hate. I think, which I, I feel like it's kind of the MacGuffin. I almost feel like the episode isn't really about that. It's just the, it's kind of the monster of the week, I suppose. Um, (laughs) But it is super clumsy and, and, and grade school in its uh, depiction of how, uh, of beer bad. But, um, I feel like maybe the real purpose of this episode is to prove that Parker really is as bad as the show wanted us to believe from the start. So here, so I have this, I've been hurt before. Let me put it that way. I have this, um, this is kind of a criticism that I have of the show again at some point, maybe multiple times, but certainly one time in particular um, in, in future seasons. I feel like if I, as an audience member don't have the negative reaction to a certain character that the writers possibly meant me to have, that they occasionally will beat me over the head with just exactly how bad that character really is until I give in and just accept it. I feel like that happens a few times. And there was, I felt a little bit about a little bit of that here because last week I was all about how, you know, actually Parker's, not that awful he's just a college guy like i mean anyways you'll you'll hear what we say that's a very cynical view (laughs) i knew a lot of college guys when i was in school that you know wouldn't do whatever well i'm trying i'm trying not to just rehash everything i said about parker in the last (laughs) episode so you'll you'll we're more nuanced in our discussion of parker last week but where i'm going with this is i feel like this episode um, kind of goes out of its way to make Parker look like more of a dick than I think he really had been portrayed as they in previous definitely, um Each episode that he's in post, uh, post-coitus is, he's a little bit worse. Yeah. Um, I, I was watching the episode when Riley figures out that he has a crush on Buffy mm-hmm. and he figures it out because um, 
Forrest asks him about her in front of Riley, and he says, um, Parker says that she's clingy and whiny, and then compares her to to a toilet seat because a toilet seat doesn't follow you around when you're done with it. See, <laughs> and then Riley punches him, which. <laughs> You know, it has the added benefit of making you like Riley a little more, or at least it does for me, but I like him anyway. <laughs> and I like Riley too. Anyways, I, again, I'd forgotten. So there's even more, there's even more Parker shenanigans to look forward to after this. I had forgotten about, um, yeah, I don't know. I clearly have complicated feelings about, uh, Parker and I feel like maybe the show, maybe not with Parker. I don't know the the timetable that went into writing these like there wasn't really enough time for the for them to get audience reaction to parker before yeah. they wrote these so i'm i'm making this crap up as i go along obviously but i maintain that in later seasons there are certain characters who are meant to be looked at as not the good guy you guys but they get such a fan following that the writers occasionally i feel like cross a line where they are like no, we have to prove to the viewers that this character is really awful. We have to have this character do something genuinely awful because the fans don't get it. <sighs> I, I feel like maybe some of it's from uh, like um, network notes. Yeah. I feel like that's also where the moralizing about the beer comes from. Yeah. I think and there was something... Uh... There's also like... The, I don't have... This isn't something that I thought up. I am stealing it from television without pity forums. But, oh, wow. Um, There's a blast from the past. Right? Um, they they commented a lot about how smoking is coded as bad. And some like when uh, Willow's talking about why she likes Oz, she's like, and he doesn't smoke. <laughs> and like they, they really kind of just hammer on, on the smoking just a little harder than necessary. It's funny you say that because in this episode, there's so there's the running gag of all Xander wants to do as a bartender is hold out his lighter and light light someone's cigarette and and engage them in conversation. And when he finally gets the opportunity, I mean, he's distracted by what's going on with Buffy, but he just holds up a coaster that has the no smoking sign on it. Yes. So he was never going to get to do that anyways. But um, anyways, no, I was just looking on Wikipedia. There's apparent, apparently there was a controversy about this episode. I'm, I know you're all shocked, but, um, <laughs> the, I'm just going to read directly from Wikipedia. It says this plot was written with the plan to take advantage of funds from the office of national drug control policy available to shows that promoted an anti-drug message. Funding was rejected for the episode because quote, Drugs were an issue, but it was otherworldly nonsense, very abstract and not like real life kids taking drugs. Viewers wouldn't make the link to it. To the message they're saying. So um, did they watch the episode? Because there's they're very hit you over the head with it. <laughs> I mean, literally, Buffy, it's <laughs> it's <laughs> yes. hits him over the head a couple times, but no, I agree. This is just another one of those silly it's like the note the network notes or whatever that tend to be silly yes. and they're based on <laughs> the people haven't even watched the episode but it was relatedly um there's the the scene when they're going when giles and xander are going to find cave slayer in her room mm -hmm. and um giles oh, yeah. is berating xander for for serving buffy the beer and xander's like i didn't know it was evil and he's like you knew it was beer 
Right. But he doesn't say anything about the fact that, you know, Xander got a fake ID so he could serve that beer. That's this episode. <laughs> I mean, the scene where Xander shows off his fake ID is, is funny. I love that fake it's, ID. It's amazing. It is. It's hilarious. Um, but that is the only, it's <laughs> like the only nod that this episode makes to the fact that these are, they're college students now, but they are not 21. No, they definitely are not. Not a single one of them belongs in that bar. And it's, it's getting a little hard to accept that every bar in Sunnydale is an all ages establishment. Like we, yeah. we accept that with the bronze, I guess, but really is every, is every bar all ages? I don't know. It was crazy. Like I can, I can see like some of the, uh, the Beanderthals being, you know, juniors or seniors. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. But like Buffy, I feel like it has to be that the the grotto is both the bar and the the coffee shop as one space because otherwise there's no reason for like freshmen to be in there. Yeah. Also, I don't know California law, but uh, I know here on on the East Coast, most places, if you are 18, you're allowed to serve alcohol if you're in a restaurant. And they clearly, they have like crappy snacks but it's there's still food so i don't know if it counts or not um that actually i'm trying to remember i actually had a job where i got to serve alcohol and i'm trying to remember how old i was at the time because i might have been 20 i don't know anyways nobody cares about this um uh i thought when you were talking about um Giles and, and Xander talking about, uh, I didn't know it was evil beer. You knew it was beer. In that same scene, as they're walking down the hallway, you get Xander calling um, Giles out for his, oh, what is the quote? Let me see. Hang on. Um, calls Giles, Mr. I spent the six season in an electric Kool-Aid funky Satan groove. Yes. Um, which, of course. And is, it was early 70s. Yeah, and he's, he doesn't deny <laughs> that it was a an electric Kool-Aid funky Satan groove. He just <laughs> corrects the era that it happened in. Uh, yes. But that is a reference to Tom Wolfe's novel, The Electric Kool-Aid Acid Test, which dealt with mm-hmm. drug-taking hippies. So, yeah, do as I say, not as I do, I guess. But It, it kind of also, it really, with uh, Xander's... Um we were talking the last episode that I was on about his sort of cliche, see the, the country Jack Kerouacking yeah. um, thing that he would have some knowledge of, of that, mm-hmm. that novel or not novel, that book. Yeah. Um, okay. I don't think I had anything else on beer bad. Um, I felt, I feel like that was more than I was expecting to have. <laughs> But, uh, I have a note on in the cold open. They did a sort of a female gaze parody. With uh, first, she has a daydream where she she's getting her it out with with Parker begging for her forgiveness. Right. And then they they go back to you know they wake her out of the daydream with the class, and then she goes back to daydreaming. And when when he asks for her forgiveness, he's you know his shirt is undone. He's got a a pint of ice cream with a spoon in it and uh, a thing of flowers. <laughs> it's, it's very stereotypical, but like it's entertaining 
and unusual, I think, for the time to, you know, play with the female gaze instead of the male gaze. I think the um, whatever whatever your views on it are, um, I mean, I, there are people that see pros and cons in this, but what, wherever you stand, I think I don't think it's arguable that uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer as a series um, really leans into the the female gaze. Mm -hmm. There are plenty of opportunities. I mean, it, it, it may mistreat its female characters and cast as well, but there are plenty of opportunities throughout the series where men are objectified and, and seen half clothed or unclothed. Um, and uh, yeah, I'd actually forgotten that he had his shirt open. I was going to ask about the ice cream and the bouquet of flowers, but I'd forgotten <laughs> that he had his shirt undone at that time, uh, which is interesting because I believe, I believe that answers a question that Steph and I had last week. I think we were like, yeah, we, I think Steph said, do we ever see him without his shirt? And I was like, I don't think so. So, yeah, he's he's still wearing it, but it's unbuttoned. All right, man. Um, other uh, thing that I have notes on is um, with the Willow and Parker conversation, they really like tiptoe along the line of making like they're making Willow sound like the stereotypical feminazi man hater. Um, you mean As, like she she has. A, like a good point throughout it but like a lot of the way the lines are written uh -huh. is just it seems very stereotypical of like um i'm trying to you men you're all about the sex and no no men are not all about the sex <laughs> and i i realize that she's you know projecting her fears about oz again mm -hmm. onto the, this conversation but it really irked me Especially considering that in a couple episodes, she's going to be all about cultural sensitivity. And... Yeah, that's um, one of my minor nitpicks that I have throughout the series or the the occasional epiphanies that characters have that don't that just don't take. <laughs> there are a lot of like lessons learned in various episodes that are completely forgotten or unlearned by the next episode. And um again i've had guests and i've had listeners and i try to check myself as well but i've had it pointed out that these are teenagers teenagers learn things and then they immediately forget them <laughs> it's just <laughs> it's occasionally difficult for me to hang on to that while i'm watching a long-form fiction especially when i'm binging it when i'm watching multiple episodes mm -hmm. at a time but at any rate we have spent so much time on the first two episodes that we didn't even really care about Let's get into Wild at Heart, which I think is the one we actually want to talk about. There are actually some some Oz Willow Veruca bits in uh, Beer Bad too. There's um when they're at the Bronze, um, Oz all of a sudden like is like I feel weird, and then Veruca starts singing. Mm -hmm. um, lip -syncing. I want to know how werewolf lip syncing yes, very singing, badly. Lip syncing the gecko, <laughs> yeah. which. I, I know that because I actually really liked the the singer's voice and and uh, ended up downloading an EP. Nice. Um, I want to know how the the mechanics of werewolf awareness of other werewolves works because she's been in the building presumably you know an hour or so at least. Right. But he doesn't sense her until right before she opens her mouth. Right. Also, he 
um, he's had, I assume he's had opportunity to, if not meet her, be in the vicinity of her before, because Willow says, do you know her? And he's like, who, Veruca? No, I don't, I don't know her, but I know the guys in the band or I know the drummer or whatever. So they have in the uh, previously's, which uh, Hulu includes, they had it in the previously's, I think from, um, I think from fear itself, they, they are walking in opposite directions on campus and both Veruca and Oz turn to stare at the other. I, I think it was actually in last week's podcast. So it would have been the freshman or living conditions. It was, it was, yeah. So that they did walk past each other and he did censor, but his comment of like, he knows her name. Um, and he, <laughs> he says he knows the drummer of the band. So I don't know. It just seems like it, what I'm saying is I agree with you. It's kind of odd timing that it's not until right before yeah. she walks out on the stage that he's like, Ooh, what is that tingle? But at any rate, um, and I'm just not a, I'm, I'm not really a fan of Veruca, <laughs> not only because yeah. of the effect she has on some of my beloved characters, but also I just wasn't really a fan of Veruca. Yeah, I knew like two cool for school girls in in college that she reminds me very much of. Uh, Wild at Heart opens up spectacularly with uh, my boy Spike, uh, starting off one of his great. So so last week we talked about the amazing like cold open dialogue monologue or whatever the voiceover that Spike gets to give in an episode of Angel, uh, mercilessly mocking Angel from afar. And then this episode of Buffy opens and it seems like Spike's going to get to do the same thing from an elevated position, looking down on his prey as he starts to, he describes himself as the big bad for the first time. I think that's the first time he's ever said it. Um, Is it? I feel like uh, he did it when he came back and made, did the love spell stuff. I don't remember what the episode name. I'd have to go back and check. I thought this was the first time. But you might be right. That sounds familiar. Anyways, it starts off and it looks like it's going to be another one of those great Spike uh, monologues, but it gets cut short. Yeah, they, they, they love on Buffy to, to do the, oh, yeah, you think this is where this is going? Nope. Yeah, misdirects. Always always good for a laugh. Um, Before we get to anything serious, I have a note that Buffy has really great hair in this episode. And I've noticed today that... Um, this is a good hair season for Buffy. You know, this is probably not what you mean by this, but I, I prevented myself from being super shallow and saying, I thought Buffy looked really good as cave Buffy. I think, um, when they went full on cave Buffy with the extensions and everything, uh-huh. uh, it's a little too messy for my personal taste, but uh-huh. when she was like, as she was devolving and they had like the body wave going on, right. That was, that was a good look. Yeah. I don't know. I just liked, I, I, I thought I'd get in trouble if I said that, but here, <laughs> here we are. I've said it now, but um, yeah, I no, actually, I think her hair, I think her hair, I think all the hair looks great this season. Everybody, the hairstylists this season are great. They, they clearly like they're having fun with it. There's a lot of different braids that they do with Buffy. I am. Um, I actually, a while back, probably like seven years ago, six seven eight um i wanted to have you know those um faith curls those big bouncy curls yeah and so i went to 
my mom's hairdresser who was like, oh, yeah, we can totally do that. But she did not tell me that the the uh, body wave that they would do is not what would give you the curls. You have to then straighten your hair and curl it, which that whole process is what I was trying to avoid. Right. So I spent probably a year or so with um, that Buffy wave hair. That it's, it's a good hairstyle. I think more people should do it. And did you like it at the time? I did. I, okay. I was initially disappointed that I had yeah. to do much more work to, to get the, the faith curls. And my mom was really mad that I just uh, stopped trying and just stuck with the, the kind of not quite crimp. Just, but um, that just makes me think. My of it. mom is obsessed with curly hair, so she was like, <laughs> oh, "Why aren't you doing that?" That but just makes really... me think of a a joke that I can't. I apologize. I don't remember what stand up comedian I heard this from, but uh, someone made the joke. Um, Ever had a permanent? Where is it now? <laughs> that sounds very uh, Mitch Hedberg. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure who it was, but uh, anyways. Um. Yeah, I feel like Mish Hedberg or Dimitri Martin probably made that joke. Probably. Um, <laughs> let's see. This episode gives us another inexplicable uh, academic success for Buffy. <laughs> I'm, yeah. I'm just baffled by how often. but And, and this, t- this time she outscores Willow on an assignment. What is that nonsense about? Right. I love how happy Willow is. And then, like, immediately, like, oh, no. Yeah. That that's terrible. Yeah. And then like, oh, but I'm jealous. That's exciting. Yeah, yeah. It, it's so cute and Willow. Willow. Okay. <laughs> this episode should be a hate crime. It it really should because <laughs> Willow is particularly adorable in this episode, and the the scene of Willow and Oz in bed together um, is perhaps one of the purest, sweetest, most adorable examples of love that, in my opinion, the series ever gives us. And I completely and utterly melt every single time I watch it. Absolutely. I just, like, my boyfriend and I have those moments pretty regularly. And whenever I see them in pop culture, I'm always like, oh, and I want to hug my boyfriend and be like, you're a great person. It it is that's that scene is so close to perfect and and it should be a federal crime that it comes that the only reason we get it is so that we can have that ripped away from us in this episode. I know that that moment when she's she's clearly awake and she makes a little smirk mm. when she's saying the Gemini's must report to the Raspberry Hats and she's like. He's like, I know you're faking. She's like, oh, no, I'm not. It's just so cute. It, it, like, I get serious cute aggression and want to, like, rip things apart. <laughs> it's so cute. Yes. I mean, it is utterly precious. And it is, uh, over the course of the series and other series, Joss Whedon does a lot of things that are awful 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 terrible things um some of them i guess probably technically worse than this but that willow and oz are so close to perfection for me i know in hindsight now like years gone by i'm sure there are people that 
are, will stop listening to the podcast because it sounds like I'm, fa- <laughs> I'm sounds like I'm favoring Willow and Oz over Willow and Tara. And you know what, guys, I might be, I might be. We'll see what happens when the series when I catch back up to the whole Willow and Tara thing. But at the moment, I'm like, no, this is this is what was meant to be. This right here. Is- yeah, I I super love Willow and Tara. Yeah, like super. As a, a bisexual person myself, it makes me really happy. Yeah. I know Willow says she's gay now, but it, I don't uh, accept that. Yeah, well. Um, as a bisexual person, I, I like that they uh, they had this healthy relationship until the end. <laughs> until it wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And um, I, I just I love her, her and Tara, but I also like. Willow and Oz is the high school relationship that I dreamed about all through adolescence. Yeah. yeah. I, I didn't date in high school. And this was like my example on TV that like, I was like, this is what I want. <laughs> and he was in a band. Damn it. Oz was yes. perfect. You guys. So cool. Come on. Um, so like I said before, like we were saying before this, uh, is another example of this is where I wrote my notes about. I like Xander as the reasonably competent shoulder to cry on. I like, um, like this season is setting Xander up to be the heart of the group. That's a very, that's an explicit thing that is spelled out on screen for us at a later point in the season. Uh, and I feel like sometimes the character pulls it off successfully. And sometimes he doesn't this, this stretch right here at the beginning of season four, I feel like they're really nailing it with Xander. Like, I feel like he, Absolutely. I like generally I have a note that's like a both one in this episode and one in the last where normally Willow and Oz are really good at communicating, even if it's not always explicit. Mm -hmm. And it's so frustrating and heartbreaking when it gets to the point in these two episodes where they're clearly not. And apart, particularly in this episode, Oz is deliberately being obtuse yeah he doesn't have to communicate and it just oh it drives me nuts and i have to keep reminding myself that they're like supposed to be 19 18 and 9 20 um so i oh I, i mentioned that because of xander's actually being emotionally mature Right. That, that was connected to your point. Yeah, yeah. Um, one of the things that one of the nitpicks I have about this, and maybe you can uh, talk me out of, maybe you can explain why it's not a nitpick or why why this wasn't a, why this isn't weird. Um, knowing what we as seasoned viewers know about Professor Walsh and Riley and where that storyline is going, I was kind of baffled. Maybe this gets explained later. Maybe she's never. Maybe she doesn't know about werewolves. In fact, as I'm saying this aloud, oh, maybe yes, that's what I have it to is. About this. Uh, okay, so my my confusion at the time was, I thought it was really weird the way she's talking to Riley about being attacked, especially since um, she includes Buffy in that conversation. And I watched it. I watched that scene a couple times, and it didn't look like she was having. I mean, she's saying it loudly as she's walking down a crowded hall in school so she wasn't trying to be secret but it certainly didn't look like she was having a covert military conversation with her soldier riley switching gears when buffy walks up like it it looked like she was 
saying, I was attacked by two of them. I was almost killed. Buffy, I hope you're being careful when you're out there. I was attacked by two wild dogs. It seemed weird. I was like, doesn't Professor Walsh know what's going on? Yeah. I, like, it is a, I feel like it is a a nit to pick, but it's also like, we don't know what she knows about what's out there. Okay. When, uh, when, when it was season two, Buffy wasn't sure if she didn't know werewolves existed. There's definitely a scene early on where, I think early on, where she's like, there's two things I don't believe in, coincidence and leprechauns. And yes. Giles is like, well, it could be, you know, coincidence. It's like, all right, but I'm right about leprechauns, right? And he's like, <laughs> as far as I know. Yeah. So yeah, it, it's, I think it's a valid knit, but it it's not something that we could say either way, really. Yeah. I guess I'm just fan wanking in my head as she knows there's all sorts of creatures out there, but she, she, they've never encountered a werewolf before and she was just attacked by two of them or whatever. So I, I, I guess maybe that's how I'm writing it off in my head. I also, the actual, go ahead. I, I was just going to say, I, I also want to say how much I love the fact that I only noticed it in this episode. I don't remember if he's worn it before, but I specifically saw that in this episode, he's wearing a sheepskin jacket, mm-hmm. which I think is just beautiful because the whole wolf and <laughs> sheep's clothing. Wolf and sheep's clothing. Yeah, I gotcha. Um, yeah, I think it's been in other episodes, but it's not there often. Um, now I want to go back and watch all over again and see if I can... Uh, <laughs> spotted as when he's being particularly less than usual Oz. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I'm sorry. I interrupted you. Where were you going? Um, the, I have Maggie Walsh, Walsh feels, uh, with the actual attack. Like on the one hand, I'm like, Oh, they're, they're totally making her out into like this helpless, nothing. Mm-hmm. When she throws the briefcase and squeaky squeaks and, and, stumbles off like a bad horror movie heroine. Mm-hmm. But I also like that it undermines her um, bitch from hell persona. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm very conflicted about that whole scene. I, I'm just, I'm kind of reserving judgment until I get further in the season and, and the real Maggie Walsh is revealed to us to see if it if it tracks well with this because uh, until i can refresh my memory and see how well it tracks with the the bitch monster from hell or whatever she calls herself uh that we get later um i have to wonder if maybe the writers hadn't quite settled on exactly how active a role professor walsh was going to have that doesn't seem likely doesn't seem likely with someone like lindsey krauss i mean you cast her because you know what you're going to do with her but right I don't know. We'll see. Um, all right. We've... I, I, she also, when she's talking to Buffy, she makes a comment about how when she first saw, I think, Oz, she, she thought it was a, a gorilla. Yes. And I was wondering if that's like their their commentary on their show with the effects for the uh, Oz costume. <laughs> okay. So we have to go there. <laughs> I I um, perhaps famously love, love, love werewolf stories, but this show's interpretation of them, at least physically, is painful 
it's like a stake to my heart every time I see. And this episode gives us some of our cleanest, clearest looks at the the sort of revised werewolf, because this is not the same look mm-hmm. that that Oz had originally. Um, this is the one that I think Joss described as a gorilla suit or something. I don't. I, yeah. Someone has described it as a gorilla suit before, so I also took that that line. Um, that reference to them looking like a gorilla to be an in an in joke or whatever, a nod and a wink at that whole thing. But mm-hmm. but man, here we have two werewolves on screen, well lit for extended you know extended shots and fight sequences, and they really look like cheap Halloween gorilla suits. But the thing that utterly killed me was the fight between Wolf Oz and Wolf Veruca. The snarling when they're half wolf. The no, that actually. So I kind of like half wolf Oz, Oz with just the. I'm okay with Oz. I. She didn't. Like she didn't Veruca, look good. Like they, they. She's a bad guy, and she's she's you know she's a monster, and so of course they have to make her look less pretty. But um, although she is, like they make her clearly feminized as a full werewolf. Yeah. But um, like I just. I get taken out of the moment because she's so kind of gross looking as a half werewolf. Yeah. There was something like the transition when they they're rolling and when they go into the role, they're half werewolves and in the midst of the role, they are full werewolves. Yeah. Yeah. The transformation. I think this is something that got called out on an earlier episode of the podcast where originally Oz took quite a long time to transform. And then there was the one time where he, you kind of blink and he goes from Oz to where full werewolf mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, no. So what got me about that fight are the, the snarling sounds that they used because go, if you missed it on your most recent watch, go back and watch again and listen to the sound effects. And it is pretty clear that one of the audio guys just recorded their little terrier puppy or something like chewing on <laughs> chewing on a sock. It is it is preposterous. <laughs> the tiny snarling puppy sound that is mixed in with all of the the rabid dog growls and everything. It's just stupid. It's just stupid. That is absolutely amazing and apparently very pleasing to my parents' senior cat because he started purring super loud. When you said that. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, <laughs> he was a fan then. Um, all right. I mean, the, really the only other thing I have to say about this episode, um, or the only other note that I have, uh, there's probably a lot more to say, but my last note was the golden rule of Buffy the Vampire Slayer is when Willow cries, we cry. And mm-hmm. man, she really worked it this episode. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I think with this episode, I finished up at like two in the morning Oof! and I was just, I was wrecked. Yeah. Yeah. So there was a, I guess I, I don't know all the details, but I believe if the various things that I've read are accurate and if I'm remembering them correctly, I believe Joss had a season long plan where there was going to be like a love triangle between Willow, Oz, and Veruca. Um, so Veruca was going to have a larger role. So I guess the silver lining is we don't have to deal with Veruca anymore. But That's um, true. Um, yeah, I think uh, Seth Green's, like he had a movie that was 
the, the scheduling moved up or something. Yeah. So they had to cut that short. I, I've worried for years that there had been some sort of uh, like falling out between Seth and Joss, and that was one of the reasons why uh, Seth wanted off the show, and he kind of left the show on relatively short notice, which is why his character gets the ending he does. Um, I don't know. Maybe there was something to it, but in recent interviews, it's, he certainly doesn't give that impression. Like Seth has said, I will, I will for now until the end of time, do anything that Joss asks me. Like he speaks about his time on Buffy with nothing but glowing praise and says he would always be happy to work for Joss. So I really feel like yeah, it was, I know, uh, it was just, he, he felt like he didn't have enough screen time on the show mm-hmm. to justify turning down movie roles that would be better for his career. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it, I mean, that's a, you know, that's a legitimate, that was his, his right to do that, I suppose, but it will forever break my heart that, um, I know we get one more on-screen appearance from Oz, I believe. And then they try to, again, in those damnable comic books, they try to wrap up the Oz storyline apparently, but it, that just doesn't satisfy me. I, I really wish that Oz had gotten to stick around for the long haul. I do like how they, in the comics, they, they did a whole, you know, Oz has control and he found it. And they explain how he found it with like meditation. It's kind of a Eastern Asia Tibet. mysticism. Yeah. He goes wave, to Tibet, I think. But, which, th- yeah, they mentioned that in, um in his, neck his ultimate appearance on the show but they like i think he goes back there and lives there and gets married and has a family yeah in the comics i get i guess he has two more appearances because i was thinking about when he come when he actually comes back to the show um but i think we also well, see him in restless don't we isn't he in the dream sequence in restless um yes okay because like i think so all right there's a whole scene of of um willow insecurities and him like telling somebody he doesn't know why he dated her for so long but that could be from another dream sequence i'm not sure (laughs) all right i guess we'll see um (laughs) i have i project my issues all over this episode because um the the miscommunication and stuff with willow and oz is extremely familiar to me Uh so i have a ton of notes about the interplay between willow veruca and oz and like it's like when uh willow and like the whole gang is at the the uh bronze and Willow's like, oh, Farouk, Farouka's playing tonight, they, or Shy's playing tonight. They're good, aren't they? And she's all like fake cheery, right. pretending that not only does it not bother her that that Oz is is obviously interested in this other person, but um, that she actually is excited about it. That like she can just cheery themselves into all being friends. Mm-hmm. That is so incredibly realistic. I feel like that was my entire high school life. Yeah. It it was like, this episode is designed just to like continuously stab me. 
like, you must suffer more. Yeah, they're, they're, this, show, this show does that from time to time. Um, yes. Yeah, no, there were a number of uh, things that felt like I've never been a teenage girl, despite what some people think. But um, <laughs> there there were a number of things um, like character beats and, and pieces of dialogue and everything that felt super real to me. Like the again, I loved Xander's pep talk or whatever. Uh, it was super mature, like the most mature Xander's been up to this point on the series, uh, um, listening to Willow's fears and then coming up with the right thing to say to her. And yeah. Saying, have you talked to Oz about this? Yeah. Was I was just like, yes, yes, that's right. And yeah. yes, I just, just stamped my feet and made my entire house shake. <laughs> okay. I'm sure you're, I'm sure your cat loved that. Um, yeah. Anyway, it's, I mean, so much of this episode is is fantastic. I because I know people are waiting for me to say it. I will point out this was written by Marty Noxon. I famously have issues with Marty Noxon, but this was a I. Uh, there's nothing about this episode aside from the fact that it's designed to just emotionally destroy me. <laughs> there's <laughs> nothing about this episode that I can complain about. So, you know, I, have... I feel she really like probably she she had her own Mean Girls, but she like really captures the interplay between the former nerd and the super cool mean girl yeah. Willow and, and Veruca very, very accurately. Mm-hmm. It's like, why don't you just at me? <laughs> right. Yes, exactly. Okay. Well, we ran a little long, but that's all right. We're very good at talking. We are. Um, I don't know if I'm very good at saying anything, but I'm good at talking. Um, <laughs> is there anything else that we missed? Anything that we need to touch on? Um, I I will point I, I will point out how an, another unnecessarily cruel thing that the episode does is at the very very end it gives us just that half a beat where we think, oh, this isn't actually how it's going to end. When Oz goes out to the van and leaves yeah. willow leaves willow sobbing and you can see oz is at the on, on the edge of tears and he starts the van and then he turns it off and you're and looks like he's about to go back in but then he starts the car and drives off yeah it's completely evil i found myself watching this time with like i don't like veruca uh-huh. but like she there are definitely points where she says what i am thinking mm-hmm. like when um when Willow finds them in the cage, which why does he have a cage in the graveyard? Just an aside. <laughs> well, they um, don't have the library anymore. They don't have the library cage. So he had to find a cage somewhere, I guess. <laughs> but um, like Willow points out that his solution, he could have talked to somebody, but instead he just locked himself in a cage with a girl that he's clearly attracted to. Right. And Rook is like, girl's got a point. And I'm like, I hate you, but you're right. Yeah. I, I, Really can't stand Veruca, but as I said, I love werewolf stories, and as much as I wouldn't have looked forward to spending more time with the character of Veruca, I do like that storyline. I like the, I love the exploration of, you know, you're the wolf all the time, and um, yes. and the, the drive, I love the idea of a love triangle, of Oz getting a little more of a focused storyline where he's he's being pulled in two different directions. Like I, that really appeals to me. 
I just, I don't like the character of Veruca. So I wish we had gotten that story just with a better character, but. I feel like, um, I, I hate love triangles. So, I mean, yeah, I, 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 I do too. I do too. They, they, we've, we've done that. We need to move on. But, um, like I just, I think that, uh, it would be less, we, do better service to Oz's character if they had been able to stretch it out. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, uh, I completely agree. I hate love triangles. Um, <laughs> and we're not done with them on this show, sadly, <laughs> but, um, yeah, yeah. I, it's not so much the love triangle that I, I wish we had gotten more of. It's the, uh, the, the pull between the wolf and humanity or whatever. So, and the you are the wolf you're the wolf all the time i really oh, i just wanted that to be explored but more is the yeah. pity. more is the pity i always have hey here's me throwing out a completely um unrelated to buffy in any way shape or form controversial opinion i happen to like the movie blood and chocolate i haven't seen it so i cannot comment on that <laughs> it's so terrible it is so so terrible and cheesy and and like all of the worst impulses of of uh I was going to say late nineties, but I think maybe it's early two thousands, uh, supernatural love triangle fiction. It's, it's terrible. It's indefensible, but I can't help it. I love it. And there are certain, there are certain things about the werewolf, not even like the, the werewolf physiology or whatever. I mean, they, they don't look like gorillas, so that's a plus, but, <laughs> uh, but just about sort of the werewolf culture, the, the, the pseudo culture or whatever that's built up in the society of werewolves is fascinating in that film. So <laughs> I encourage people to watch it, but take it with a massive grain of salt. <laughs> so an entire salt lick, maybe. Yeah. 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 Um, all right, man, that's, is, that is way too many words about these episodes. Um, have a few more. Okay. All right. Go ahead. Go ahead. One of them is very, very brief. It's just the, um, the scene when, Willow and Buffy are talking about what happened and Willow starts sobbing. She puts her head in Buffy's lap and it's like the inverse of the scene yes. in the prom. Yeah. 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 And the other is that I hate like that scene where she's walking through town and she kind of aimlessly ambles in front of a car uh -huh. and Riley and Buffy go on this whole, you know, don't hurt yourself. I feel like that is not helpful at all. I, I have been in a position where I want to hurt myself and I've been in a position where I just want to not exist. And I feel like Willow was much more in that last one. And anytime somebody is just like, it's not worth hurting yourself over, it just sounds so empty and yeah. like, it's what I am supposed to say. So I will say it and then I will go off and have the rest of my life happen. I completely agree with you. I also have been on that side of things. And so I cringed at that, but I also, I also tried to in, enjoy, I don't know. I tried to take some comfort in that scene because again, I'm kind of a Riley apologist a little bit. And that was at least Riley. Yes. Making I, an I have effort. a note that says, I have a note that says Riley is a doof, but at least he saved Willow. And <laughs> yeah. I also, as you may recall, adore Riley. I think he's the best of um, 
Buffy's love interests for her. Right. At least while without throughout season four, I think he's just great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, did you have anything else? Because I just realized there's one major thing that we probably should have said something about. Um, I probably do because I definitely have been flipping around in random spots of my notes. So, well, the major thing we should have commented on, we kind of already did the the whole uh, Willow walking right up to the edge, but this is the episode <laughs> where she comes closest. This is the episode where she is just like inches away from. Oh yes, absolutely. Doing something really, really terrible and irreversible with her magic. And fortunately she stops herself at the last second, but at this point in the series, that's as close as she's gotten. And it certainly demonstrates that she is willing to consider that possibility. I I have notes about how like they, they go kind of like there's, it's rooted in reality that the, the women, blame the other woman rather than the cheater yeah but like i was really i have a note about how pleased i am that oz was included in her spell <laughs> I, I hate the idea that only the other woman is to blame yeah it's, it's stupid yeah there's two people who are involved in this cheating yeah they are both to blame in fact it was we only we only saw oz's picture <laughs> Yes, that's true. Um, I mean, I guess she probably didn't have a picture of Veruca, but anyways. Um, okay, uh, I'm gonna try and take us out now. You want to you want to arm wrestle? Is there anything else? <laughs> anything else you have? No, we're good. Okay, we we made it. We made it, guys. <laughs> um, so yeah, we. I feel like. Without consulting my list of episodes, I'm just going to go out on a limb and say, I think we've gotten through the low point of the season. I don't entirely know if that's true, but I think probably we have. I would say that for me, the first like through pangs is the high point of the season. Oh, yeah. Okay. I think this season, like I, my opinion on this is entirely emotionally based. I don't like the, uh, the trouble brewing within the the Scoobies and all all like I love all the the cute Riley quips and romancy things and other than that most of the season I'm like shut up go away. <laughs> okay, interesting. Well, there you have it, listeners. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> I I don't know. I mean, I'm sure every single person listening to this has very strong opinions on whether this was the low point of the season or not, but. <laughs> At any rate, what I'm getting at is I feel like there's some great stuff coming up. Um, and uh, most, as we've said, most people tend to consider Beer Bad the, the nader of this series. Nader, yeah. <laughs> so we're past that, and it wasn't that bad. So anyways, Melanie, you have uh, – I said at the top of the show that you were uh, – you've joined the ranks of the hat trick guests. You are only the second person – to have made three guest appearances on this podcast. So it's it's you and Nikki Stafford. I feel very fancy and uh, honored <laughs> to be in any category with Nikki Stafford. So I feel like I need to get uh, you and Nikki on the same episode at some point now. I feel like oh, that, I would love that. I feel like that has to happen. Um, I know I'm signed up for more, but I don't remember what the next one I'm supposed to be on is. Uh, I could be really Johnny on the spot and have that list in front of me, but of course I don't. So <laughs> I'm don't pretty know. sure the next episode I'm on is with Johnny Ho. Okay. 
that's all I can tell you. <laughs> all right. We, I will consult my notes. I, I, you'll be back. I, I have no doubt yeah. that you'll be back. Um, again, everybody probably knows at this point, but this could be someone's first episode. Someone may be such a super fan of Beer Bad that they've only tuned into this podcast. So <laughs> please let those people know how they can uh, find you online. You can find me on Twitter at uh, Research Nerdery, all one word. It's my uh, public Twitter, and it's full of politics. But oh my. I happily, you know, talk nerdy fandom stuff or library stuff, which is what it was originally for. <laughs> Excellent. Um, I can't remember. Are you on Facebook? And if so, are you in the group? I am. Okay. Uh, I I try to comment. I actually there's I posted about stuff today. You did before we we talked. Of course, that's right. See, spotty memory. My guys. frustration at uh my frustration about how the initiative is supposed to be like this super secret stealthy group, <laughs> and they're just like walking around in camo all the time. Yes, yes. Um, I it makes much more sense for them to to blend in at, in their civvies look like college students but no they're like oh we have guns and scary masks and nobody notices i mean riley as uh the ta the psych 105 ta is a much better camouflage than him running around with a, a gun and and uh absolutely yeah. although i don't know about you but when i went to college i never had even one conversation that like involved about my life with any of my TAs, <laughs> even the TAs that I like had crushes on and wanted to like have longer conversations with. It was just like, Nope, here's the assignment. Bye. I'm sure TAs don't really want to talk to the students either. Um, see, that's what makes Riley such a good guy. He is. Yeah. Although they're, they're assassinating his butt. They, they're putting him in like terrible pants. Okay, I was like, what does that sentence mean? Please explain. <laughs> They're like these super baggy seats to his pants, and it's like, no, no, he's an attractive male. He probably has enough of a butt to at least not look like he's wearing a diaper. I mean, he was a basketball player before he was an actor, so yeah, he probably has a body under that. Well, he definitely has a body. We know that. Sorry, I'm getting gross now. <laughs> All right. We will more about Riley's body in future episodes. Uh, in the meantime, uh, thank you everybody at home for listening. You can find links to this and all of our past episodes at the website conswithdead.com, or you can subscribe to the show on iTunes. And while you're there, please rate us or write us a review. There are other Buffy podcasts. They are super good. I would, I can use all the help I can get, please. Any kind words that you could spare, I would super appreciate. Um, if you have questions for me or any of my guests, or if you'd just like to share your thoughts on anything that we've discussed, please join the conversation. Drop us an email at conswithdead at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at conswithdead, or reach out to us on that pesky Facebook group, Conversations with Conversations with Death, Dead People. Next week, um, I'm joined by Slayage contributor and Spuffy fanfic author, this should be fun, uh, Jessica Houch, to discuss 407 The Initiative, 408 Pangs, and 409 Something Blue. Things are about to get weird, guys. Um, until then, ger arg, everybody. Ger arg. Hooray for beer! I'm really glad you're here! Let's go!